Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. There are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether they are missionaries or musicians, reformers, authors, wives, mothers, or just women. Their examples are inspirational to us all. So we have a very special program and a live guest. Um, She's not in studio, so we had to do a call for this one. But we wanted to prepare you, our listeners, because today's story is of a sensitive nature, and it is about God bringing beauty from ashes. It's about tragedy. It's about pain. But how God can use these things, even these things, to make you a woman worth knowing. And that's why we've invited this guest. In fact, this guest is one of your close friends, isn't she, Robin? Yes, and I'm so thrilled that Gloria Chapman could be here today. Hello, Gloria. Hello, Cheryl and Robin. (laughs) We're so glad you're here. So I have to tell everyone how we met. I was teaching a writer's workshop, which I often do, and this one was on the island of Oahu. And after the uh, workshop was over, actually, I, I... noticed you in the room because you were taking notes and so attentive. And when I saw you afterwards in the hallway, I said, I kind of wondered if you had a book to write. And you said, well, that's why I came to the workshop. Everyone tells me I should write my story. My husband is in prison. He's been there for many decades and we're still married. And it's it's quite a story. And I said, well, it sounds like something you should write. And then you told me very delicately, well, it's complicated. And I said, okay. And then you bravely told me, you said, my husband is in prison because he shot John Lennon. And I could see then why this is a difficult story (laughs) in so many ways, but it's so beautiful. And the more time that I spent with you over the years, we talked about how God might use your story. You and I both spoke at a, a prayer breakfast. And what God has done in your life is what we want to talk about today. So, Gloria, just dive right in. Tell us about your growing up years and take it from there. Okay, I'll do my best. Well, I was born in Honolulu in 1951, which, if you do the math, that makes me 72. Um, And my childhood was, for one thing, it was a pretty normal childhood growing up in rural Kailua. My father... And mother owned a bakery, and they later on added a, a restaurant that they called a fountain. My dad was a baker, and my mom was a cake decorator. And so I grew up, I can say I ate just about every night in a restaurant because <laughs> they closed the restaurant at dinner time, and so that's where we had our meals. We lived right behind the building. But it, when I was two years old, I contracted polio. There were four of us and four children, but I I was the only one that got polio. And that was at two, two and a half years old. So I was a pretty sickly kid and spent 
time in the hospital. I got pneumonia that first year in the hospital, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but I wanted to include that because having had polio, I think, made me stronger as a person. And maybe God used that to help me in my later years when I would have to go through some hard times. Mm-hmm. Lori, I want to ask you, too. You So you were able to walk, though, because I think of so many who are uh, paralyzed for life after polio. But uh, it's a miracle yes. you weren't paralyzed by mm-hmm. this. Thank you for bringing that up. I consider myself very blessed. In fact, I'm looking up at my wall, and there's a word up there, blessed. Mm. Because um, even though I did wear a brace maybe when I was three or four, I have a picture of me with a, a brace on my left leg, which was the part of my body that was mostly affected. Um, but right now at 72, I can walk unaided. Um, and that's great that's for 72. So. <laughs> 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 I do I do have a, a walker in my car just for another a friend or me if I ever need one mostly to carry stuff on. But anyway, I feel very blessed that I can walk without a cane or anything. Um, But there was a time when I was having a lot of post-polio symptoms, but I give credit to the Lord for healing me because I went forward at uh, my church's prayer, um, not prayer service, it was just a regular service, but at the end of the service they had a visiting pastor, and I think his gift was healing. So, um, well, then let's go back to from two years old until, and then bring us up to speed of how you actually ended up at church because you did not grow up going to church. Right, <clears throat> uh, my parents were very wonderful people, but the only time we ever went to a church was maybe when somebody got married in a Buddhist temple, or somebody died and was a Buddhist funeral. Um, but I knew nothing about the Lord Jesus. I I didn't have any kind of training at all. So what is your culture? Yeah, what is the culture you grew up then besides Hawaiian? Uh, so was it a, a, um, a Buddhist family then or just a nominally Buddhist family, more Americanized than? No, they we weren't really. I mean, my parents would, if they had to go to the hospital and, and state what their religious preference was, they would say Buddhist. Mm -hmm. That was only because of their upbringing. They did not practice Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Um, They did give money to a a Buddhist temple, but they never went to any services. But isn't giving money to a Buddhist temple also, um, because I know people, uh, my my son's mother is, uh, my son-in-law's mother is Thai, and I know that Growing up, they did it for good luck. If you saw a Buddhist monk, you would give money or you gave to the temple for good luck. And they were non-practicing, but they thought, well, this will appease the gods you know, of our relatives. So mm. we can, you know, was it something like that, do you think? Or I don't even think so. I think yeah. it was just, it was an, my, my father gave to a lot of charities and that mm. was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also the Japanese culture, right, is where you had your roots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so continue. Now you're in grade school, and you're growing up on Oahu. Right. And at that time, uh, public schools, I went to a public school, 
they were allowed to have a Christmas pageant. And I didn't know really what it was, but I was pretty happy about it because I was the only one chosen to play an angel. And so my mom made me this beautiful white dress, and I had this sparkly halo above my head. You know, <laughs> I love it. Wire things. Yes. <laughs> and my job was not to say anything, but just point down to this baby doll in this wooden crib at my feet. So with my right hand extended down, I was just pointing to this baby. But I really wasn't paying attention to the, the pageant at all. I didn't know what I, you know who that was, who that represented at all. So I was pretty clueless. If you had said Jesus Christ, you know, I really wouldn't um, have understood. However, all four of us loved Christmas carols, and we loved to sing them every Christmas. You know, it was just the weirdest thing. I, I could sing to speak about every single Christmas carol that you can think of. We just liked the way they sounded. They were just happy, most of them. Um, or they just had a pretty sound like a little town of Bethlehem, you know. <laughs> and you just think of the key words and phrases that are tucked into there's those. A, there's a gospel message <laughs> in every Christmas were carol. Planted, yes. Right? All along the way. So then you're in high school, continuing on. Okay. So as I got older, um, I did become quote unquote spiritual in that I was trying to figure out the meaning of life, you know, and I was asking, like, well, who am I and how did I get here and what's going to happen to me after I die? And I would spend a lot of time, especially at nighttime, thinking about this, you know. I just, it would, it hurt my brain because I would try to go back in time. It's like, okay, that happened, and then before that, that happened. And then it's like at some point, like, you know, how did all of this happen? Um, but I, I still, nobody told me about God or Jesus. It, mm. And so I turned to the occult. I turned to things like the Ouija board, tarot cards, um, anything to do with the supernatural. Edgar Casey, I read his books, that sort of thing. I even bought a book on witchcraft, but I just bought it. But I didn't really ever practice witchcraft. Thank the Lord. Clearly you were seeking, but, um, yeah. But I didn't, uh, you know, I was just seeking for the truth about life. I was just seeking for the meaning of my life. So that's how it went for quite a while. I mean, I was into my post-high school days, still into that. I even took a course on astrology and was doing charts. Well, I did one chart, but it was kind of scary because the man I did the chart for died in a plane flying over Antarctica. The plane went down into Antarctica, and that kind of shook me up because I didn't see that in the chart that I did for him. Wow. Um, yeah, that was kind of the end of my astrology days, I have to say. Good thing. Then... Yeah. So I became a travel agent. I worked at this travel agency, which went out of business. But um, I forgot all about that. Internet. Yeah, that's right. 
That was your 20s. You were yeah. at the travel agency. Yes. And is that, that's where you met Mark, isn't it? It is. I was international expert, and he walked in one day, and I didn't talk to him that day. Another gal who was seeing closer to the brochures talked to him, and he told her that uh, he wanted to go to to Asia. Back then, we called it the Orient, but now it's politically incorrect to say that. So <clears throat> he wanted to go to Asia. He had some places in mind, and so he took some some of the brochures, and the other worker got his name and address, and so I wrote him a letter and explained who I was and that I was happy to help him. So that's how it began. <clears throat> um, so he eventually came and talked to me in, in the travel agency, and I got where he wanted to go, and I planned his trip. Now, back then, there were no computers, so a travel agent was the one who wrote out with her hand or his hand <laughs> uh, a ticket, manually written, and also had to look up the airfare. Um, so I did that, and that's where... Our relationship began. He would sometimes leave little notes in the door of the travel agency, so I would see it when I got to work. One note um, was very memorable. It said, A, good looking, what you got cooking. (laughs) A country song. (laughs) So, Glory, had you ever had a boyfriend before, Mark? Not really. Mm -mm, I... All through high school, I mean, I didn't go to the prom, even though I helped plan it. And it was, well, I was pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. In fact, before I met him, as I was driving from work to home, I would sometimes just be crying my eyes out because I was so lonely and I just wanted a boyfriend, you know. Mm-hmm. But by then, I, I was way past high school. And so I was like, what's wrong with me? You know, Mm. I had male friends in high school. I had several male friends, but not anybody special. Mm -hmm. So, um, so having that attention from Mark must've been really, really special to you. Well, he, he was special. He was Mm -hmm. very smart, as I said, and, personable. He was pleasant to the eyes. Uh, we did not have love at first sight, though, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought, you know, Mark Chapman, I knew he was four years younger than me because I had seen his, had to see his passport at one point. Right. And so, you know, and um, the other worker, she turned to me after a while and she said, I think Mark Chapman has a crush on you. I'm going like, <laughs> no, nah, you know. <laughs> I just poo-pooed that idea. But um, it was, I guess, little seeds of something. And like I said, he he, um, he just he was just a really nice guy, a nice young man with emphasis on the young. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really think anything of it. But for some reason, I attribute it to just, God or 
I don't know because when, well, let me back up. Before he left on his trip, he had gone to order me flowers, and not just any flowers, but a dozen red roses. Oh. Now, yellow is the color of friendship, right? But yes. red is a something. It's another message that they send, and. They came on a tray, this little man from the forest, I can still picture him. He was came in holding a metal tray and on it were was the vase with the red roses and a teddy bear. I mean like a sixteen inch or so teddy bear just sitting there with the roses. So that was a little bit hmm, you know, like what what is this all about? I've never been given roses or any flowers before. So the message was, and, I really, really care for you. I love you, red roses. Yeah. And let's just be friends, cuddly, teddy bear. <laughs> like, it is a mixed it, message, it's, definitely. It's, like, what's she going to say when I deliver this, when it's delivered? And, now, Gloria, it seems like well, he day, must have had a lot of money, or at least a good income, to be able to afford a trip to Asia and to be able to buy red roses. I mean, that's on a silver tree. That's that's not cheap, well, especially in Hawaii. He didn't really have. He didn't have a lot of money, but he had access. He um, mm-hmm. worked at the hospital that had a credit union, so he okay. had a loan. Mm. And his father, I think, just gave him some money. Mm-hmm. So it was enough mm-hmm. for that trip around the world, and he stayed. Not a couple of places he stayed at hotels, but it was like at the YMCA. Oh, right. He used, right. To work, he used to work for the YMCA, so he had contacts like in Tokyo and in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so he leaves, so and not, you have the roses to contemplate. What does this mean? He's gone a long time, and then he comes back. What did you think? How did you guys start talking after that? Well... Actually, I need to tell you what happened as he traveled. Mm-hmm. As he traveled, he sent me several postcards. I want to say like four or five, plus the one that he says he sent from the Eiffel Tower. There's a mailbox, or there was a mailbox up there, and he dropped it in that one. That one, mm. for some reason, got stuck somewhere. It never got to me, but I got all the others. In fact, still do have them somewhere. But um, also, I had two letters waiting at the two hotels he stayed at en route. And they were just, trust me, they were just friendly letters, you know, and thanking him for the flowers and the teddy bear, (laughs) but just friendly uh, letters. But his postcards, as he got closer back to Hawaii, um, he signed them differently, you know, like just Mark. And then I think the next one was something like, you're a chum. It's <laughs> <Which is laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> but they just, uh, and then by the last, the last one was like, oh, I wish you were here. And he was in Geneva at, at that time, you know, I wish you were here. And I was almost ready to get on a plane and go there, but. Hmm. reason dictated and I know that would be silly Gloria so I didn't go but I knew when he was arriving back in Honolulu and I got there 
even though I was with crutches, because I had just sprained my ankle the day before. Mm-hmm. I sprained both ankles, but one was worse than the other. And I met him, got off this Pan Am flight, and it was when it was um, the uh, carousels uh, were outdoors, kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I saw him in his light blue polyester suit. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of reached. He, didn't, he wasn't expecting me at all, of course. And I reached and I tugged at his left elbow, the sleeve, you know. And he spun around. He dropped his bags. I mean, it was like something from a movie. He dropped his bags and he just gave me a big bear hug. And my friend who had driven me, she had no, she had no clue who Mark was. And she was like staring, you know, big eyes. You know, it was like, and then as, um, he said he wanted to see me that night. I said, don't you want to spend time with your friends? You know, the one that was picking him up and his family. So he said, oh, okay, well, how about tomorrow? So that's what we did. And, it, you know, I was he came home on August 20, 1978. So remember, and so August 21, we started dating. <laughs> I don't want to say the rest is history, but it's not that easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. So then this dating began and your heart was already pretty well connected. And clearly he was so happy to see you. So did you have any doubts like I'm going to marry him or was it just step by step? Um, well, the steps were quite big. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. we were take, making great strides. Um, because even after, well, right away, like the next night, right away, um, I don't know, at least for me, my my heart was sold out to him. Mm. He had won me over, I guess. And I saw, he told me about his, his mental issues that he had, that he'd gone to Hawaii to try to kill himself, you know, in the depression and the hospitalization and all that. So I was aware of that. But to me, he seemed like he had moved past it. He was working a full-time job and he seemed like he was doing well. So um, I didn't really let it stop me. And I'm sure that in that era, it was not so well known what that meant or how that could affect you down the road, so it was like, he seems to be doing pretty well, and that was enough to yeah. move forward. Well, I think so, there used to be the belief that, you know, you could actually be healed. Right. And, you know, I know a lot of people that were, you know, schizophrenic during that time, and they threw away their medication yeah. because they felt better, and they thought, I don't need this anymore, and then, it, you know, it would sneak back up. So, it's, so it, he could look healthy, and then he's, you know, in the throes of love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything's roses, yeah. literally. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what we're going to have to do yeah, I mean, is take a pause here and get um, the rest of the story when we go on to our next episode. But what I want to add to this is that that sense of seeking that you had and then this being uh, the affection that came 
surprisingly, from Mark. And just every woman can relate to that I think desires of a young woman's heart to be wanted and to have purpose. And you you were experiencing all that so that it's it leads to those next steps being natural. Right. I'm going to marry him. And even excusing or yeah. um, any strange mm-hmm. behavior or even um, there is that belief, and I've met more young women who think, I can fix this. Oh, yeah. You know, and women tend to yeah. marry fixer-uppers. We all do. You know, we're like, oh, if I just dress them this way. You know, we were playing Pygmalion, you yeah, know, My I Fair Lady or him. My Fair yeah, Men. Right. Man, I, I can do that. And I, you know, uh, the idea of taking a criminal and taming him and, you know, making him, you know, Prince Charming. Everyone has kind of that. Uh, I met so many young women with that uh, delusion. And so you ignore You ignore all the warning signs. So we're going to come back next week with uh, part two. And you don't want to miss the next episode when Gloria tells what we would say the rest of the story, right? Yes. And I'm so glad that she's willing to share with us. I really am. Thanks, Gloria. You're so glad I'm here. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not-so-well-known historical and contemporary Christian women. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at w wk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.